This podcast is supported by Siemens, your partner for industrial grade AI. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a new episode of our Industrial AI podcast. My name is Robert Weber, and it's a pleasure to talk to Peter Sieber. Good morning, Robert. How are you doing today? I'm fine, Peter. Today we do a little review of our event, and in the main part we talk about GPT-4 and the code interpreter. We have tried out the tool, and Marco will inform us a bit, but I want three sentences from you on that topic. <laughs> I'm not sure I can do it in three sentences. Well, now it's 8 a.m. in the morning. I typically get up at 5. I started with a YouTube video how to uh, install the code interpreter. Yep. So I, I have been using Bing, but that was not possible there. So I went to the OpenAI, paid uh, $20, I believe, on my wife's MasterCard. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, I looked at the video half an hour later because there was a LinkedIn on the topic and somebody said, well, can it then soon do the, the famous Titanic? And it did take me maybe half an hour, but now how to do it. I am already started now to take any industrial data set and, you know, I give it to the code generation and I ask the code generator to tell me what's inside the data. It's really, really impressive. Yeah, we will talk to Marco Huber from Fraunhofer IPA because he tried it out the whole weekend, I think, and he will share some ideas and some thoughts with you. But let's start with our event AI and the apps. I will scroll through the topics, foundation models, simulated data, hybrid machine learning, LSTM, Hopfield, bringing more memory to the model, future of vision transformers, building communities, and of course, the AI. Peter, what was your highlight in the Alps? Uh, what was the highlight? It's so difficult. I saw the, the, the pictures again, the photographs this morning. Of course, it was an amazing it is an amazing uh, setting. I mean, being in the middle uh, of the Alps with these, how tall are they? 2,500, did you yes, say, or yes, something like yeah, that? Yeah. That's, of course, only number one. It's always about the contents. The, uh, you just mentioned a couple of them. Just as a reminder, maybe we were in total 30, 30 persons, 30, right? Yeah. Our target is like decision makers, uh, industrial AI, and we want them to, to learn something from talking to others. And specifically, we had three guests, no, three professors. We can chat about them. Marco Huber from Fraunhofer IPA. You just mentioned, so, and you know, you'll talk to him later, yeah. Yeah. And then K. Snook, University of Amsterdam, and mm -hmm. Director Qualcomm Lab. And? And uh, Zeb Hochreiter, of course, as well. He's our fixed, our base. He's our moral supporter yes. since, uh, since quite some time. And it was amazing again to sit with Zeb. Not sure in how far we can actually share what he was um, sharing with us. Maybe we shouldn't go into too far detail. But that, that's what we were doing. And it was an amazing two days. And if we go back, you mentioned a couple of the topics. Uh, I look back again also at the final event evaluation. You know, everybody was completely happy. Location, food, discussion, format. Uh, that was really your base idea or was it also a combination of as we're doing the AI in the canteen uh, where we said no PPT that was that's people really really liked that you know you're not supposed to bring foils that's has become like a very normal thing but you know many many times I believe still in 
environments for our listeners as well. You know, somebody will, you know, open up their notebook and start presenting PPTs. That's not allowed at our event. So normally we have this the big group and then we collect their topics and write down their topics and their ideas and the, what about what they want to talk about. And then we, we cluster these topics and then we develop three smaller groups. And in these smaller groups, they can discuss this topic with the three professors or with each other. So that's the format. Yeah. And uh, in the end, you know, people were so happy. I mean, that's so nice for you and me um, together with Barbara, the event organizer, to see that everybody was so completely happy. There were two, three very specific things, maybe to have working groups on more specific topics, maybe for one hour sessions, maybe a bit more strategy business. Those were three. You and I will look into that. But in the end, on the way back home, we were together in a car. We decided that we're going to do this on an annual basis, right? Absolutely. We will do that next year in July in Zug near Lech, the same setting, and we are really looking forward. But let's talk a little bit about the topics. I think foundation models was the big topic, right? That was the huge topic here. Yeah. I think already during the initial sessions gathering, uh, there was this proposal that each of the groups look into because, you know, each of our references, professors kind of uh, deal with the model. And we said, you know, what is it we need is a European Industrial Foundation model. And maybe from the evaluation round, I wasn't at the time when we were still waiting for Zap before arriving. We talked about a couple of things. Of course, it's about hardware, cloud, or is it edge infrastructure? We said we would like the universities to be part of it. We would need to make sure what it is that we try to solve, what is our goal, which is the data and data quality, a couple of other things. In the end, we thought that was only one group there, that we weren't certain about the willingness of all the parties involved. What is the incentive, the monetization maybe as well? And maybe it is more interesting for the SMEs, the small, middle-sized companies, and for the large companies. We had one large company represented in our group who said, we have our data. So, I mean, what do we gain out of sharing. So, I mean, I give this to you as the open source kind of specialist. It's about what do the big ones get out of sharing their knowledge, their programming capabilities, their data. I think that was kind of the thing where we stayed at within that group. And there was also the question of what data do we need for foundation models, engineering data, production data. And I think the big question is how to get those together first. And um, Who is the independent authority between the companies then? Who handles this model? I think that problem is not solved, right? No, most certainly not solved. I think there is an activity that I saw then later. There are several organizations, one of which I wasn't aware of. I did contact my contact at Brussels, and I saw that there's actually going to be starting at nine o'clock today. This is Tuesday in Brussels. There's another meeting. I was there a couple of years ago, many different uh, meetings. I will be listening in, and there is another organization. Let me 
think data, AI and robotics, I believe it's called association, who seem to be dealing with the topic. So I've I've shared this information with the participants. I think we need to, those of us really interested in wanting to drive this industrial foundation model, European industrial data model, you know, may want to participate in this activity. Yeah, and it was quite interesting because I mentioned these independent authority because Zepp explained us that they already tried this to build a foundation model for pharmaceutical companies. I think it was pharmaceutical. And there was a startup in between these big players. And then this startup became too powerful because the startup managed the model and the data. And then it broke the architecture of this foundation model of this idea. So it's very, very difficult to, to handle this, I think. Yeah, well, there you go. Uh, as I said, I mean, I brought up this idea of open source because it feels a bit like if you, uh, that's one. The Maybe other it's something is, for the OPC Foundation, Peter. Huh? Well, today, in today's meeting, is completely, it's 50% filled with the OPC Foundation, yeah. So, I mean, this is a wonderful thought. I do believe because you and I are also involved in the OPC Foundation podcast, uh, we produced that one for Stefan. And I was thinking yesterday something similar, that it feels like maybe these two are growing together. So AI in production, industrial AI podcast, and the OPC Foundation. Well, it is clear that, of course, the information model uh, provided by OPC UA, you know, is perfectly suited. And there are so many different information models in industrial space on the basis of OPC UA. And therefore, it's not a surprise that at a meeting today in Brussels, I think there's three or four speakers, VWMA, the German Machine Builder Association representative, but also directly from OPC Foundation. It could very well be that, at least from a technical perspective, OPC UA is going to be, let's say, the basis for, and as we just discussed, I think the, the bigger problem is the willingness of so what is the incentive of big companies of middle of small companies to provide to put something in what is the incentive what do you put in and what do you get out brussels is the perfect keyword because we had also a, a surprise guest and for me it makes us very proud because the austrian digital minister florian turski joined us for the final round and his message was and that's very interesting not everything has been decided right. yet with the ai act and then it started <laughs> the, he went through the process and uh, he made a very very capable appearance we just can confirm that as is i mean i'm not a friend of um, always questioning the capabilities of politicians i'm a big supporter of our democratic system and i'm completely convinced that if politicians that need to make decisions that they will make themselves knowledgeable he was showing to be very knowledgeable and he was telling us where we are and i think what he mentioned was the what he called it a trilogue and he said yes i mean not everything is completely fixed and of course there is still from everywhere many ideas certain parties are very strongly against the current version there's a group of what is it about 150 companies uh, who do not like what they see i said well you know what is 150 companies i'm i'm, I'm not 
saying that these 150 companies are not. They are important and also big companies. But of course, it's always, there's another, I was looking, I believe 2.3 million companies we have in Europe. So there's a big discussion going on. And the nice thing was that they, we said, okay, well, can we give you recommendations for changes then? And we started with Marco saying, yeah, I mean, many people do not like this very broad definition of AI, right? Yeah, the broad definition and then the horizontal approach, but you won't change the horizontal approach. I think that's fixed, right? Well, yeah, I mean, if you if you go from one from horizontal <laughs> to vertical, if yeah, right, I mean, sure, that means you start from the beginning. So yeah. <laughs> we are in a process which started, I believe, about five years ago, and I believe I was there. And he, the, he, and he said nobody was interested in the AI Act until ChatGPT came up. Yeah, that's what's very interesting. Sure. Well, at least the variety, the wideness yeah, of the yeah. people interested. Yeah. I mean, at that time, it was the HLAC, the high-level expert group on AI, and that's what I was in Brussels for a couple of times as well. Um, and that's, I believe it's five years ago. Yeah, It will be introduced in whatever this or next year and that would have been like a time frame of still six years right so so yeah we did marco suggested the definition is too broad specifically not any statistics as i i believe if i'm correct he was suggesting should not be part of it uh, and then of course to be honest he also said i mean sure he cannot just give one new uh, definition <laughs> just uh, as he was sitting there and that is then the problem because then the discussion started which we which we stopped because of course we we could also now that is a little bit the problem that there's so many there was an original discussion 1956 i've been using my dis uh, own definition i've shared it a couple of times i believe And I do not have an expectation that they are now going to be using my definition. So, and that was only one thing. But we did give a, a couple of, I don't recall the other pieces of feedback that were given, but it was very nice that we had the opportunity to, to have the feeling that is part of our democratic process that we were giving feedback directly to a representative who will then, you know, by gathering many pieces of feedback decide to have them uh, put forward but i saw his notes he noted everything down what we said and he underlined marco's uh, problem with the de defining ai topic so maybe marco there's a little chance to talk again about this defining ai and then he came up with an idea of national ai agency which then helped the small and mid-sized enterprises with the AI Act implementation, but I see that poof, very critically. There's another institution being built up, and I, I have to ask, can we even find the expert for such an agency? Because we have a lack of AI experts in the companies, and now we want to implement some AI agencies in the in the countries. I'm, I'm not convinced by this idea. I was uh, reading, I believe yesterday, that it's actually the, the Spanish government who's going to be, have already, or will be going to take over. You know, they're always rotating, right? Is it half, half a year, each of the countries? And there was, oh, Politico. Do you know Politico? That's the article, I believe. So somebody was referring to it. And it was very positive. They say Spain has put a lot of effort into making sure that the Spanish language, which is, of course, a huge language, probably number three, I guess, you know, behind Mandarin English or the other way around. I have no idea. But that's their interest. They have a big investment. 
And they have, in the meantime, already an AI minister, you know, as we had our Minister for Digital Affairs. Yeah, but that's the same as Digital Minister of Austria. But these agencies, I'm, I'm not convinced about that. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I was going to say, yeah, I, I don't know in detail. I mean, you're going to have one AI act, which I understand differently from other decisions being made on a European level. Sometimes each of the countries then need another year or two to implement an act means that as soon as it's going to be decided, then it is the law in, in complete, complete of the European Union. Let's see. Let's see. Interesting topic. If we're still going to see some changes there. It was nice that we could provide input. It was a pleasure for us to meet you in the Alps from the guys and the women and the men and everybody was there. And I think it was a fantastic atmosphere. And we will do that again in October. Werner from Arbuk invited us. We talk about AutoML with Frank Hutter. And AutoML is a good keyword because I think code interpreter will also change AutoML, right? Yeah, it's almost like, is it even the next? It's it, They are part of the same direction. of, And this discussion has taken place, as far as I know, I would say three years. I was thinking uh, this morning uh, about Oliver Niggerman. I'm going to do another recording with Oliver. He was with us probably three years ago already, one of the first episodes. He's in Hamburg now. And At that time, I was involved in presenting also uh, about lecturing. And then we were doing this article and we were looking at three different approaches. And I, at that time, was doing the AutoML approach. And he kind of let me. He was not a big supporter. I'm not sure now, Oliver, I will be asking you in a couple of weeks when we have our interview. And this has been growing and growing. So now we're back at, at the beginning, you know, code interpreter, AutoML. It's all about, and we will ask, Frank Hutter in, in October, of course. It's all about um, democratization of, of data, of programming, of tools. And there's so many things coming together. And so many people, so many of you listeners that maybe have just started, you know, maybe you're young or maybe you're very experienced and come from a different world, you know, and you have decided to move into data science. Uh, you just started programming. And then at the beginning, you see these amazing tools and you think, oh, they make me a lot more productive. And then suddenly, maybe you become scary. You know, you think, well, what does that mean to me and my job? What shall I say? We should all stay open, open to see what is possible with these tools. I think the only thing that we should not do, and that was a, maybe a finish on that thought, we had Case in uh, in my group was given this example of maybe colleagues in a university environment who have been working, whatever, 10, 20 years on a specific topic. And then comes ChatGPT, then comes Code Interpreter, then comes whatever. And suddenly they feel, oh, Well, maybe what I've been working on is not valid anymore. <laughs> maybe I need to look at doing something else. And I believe that's the same for all of us. You know, all of us need to keep a very open eye and see what it is, where this market is moving and where do we believe, you know, and Robert and I, you and I keep on sharing our thoughts with the community. Uh, we try to do our best and to see where the market is moving. And each of you, dear listener, need to decide for yourself. You know, are you going to continue the way where you are or are you on the other side? Let's say, 
are you a typical domain expert? And you believe, you know, oh, well, you know, if Peter can do this, uh, he says now in an hour and soon he can do whatever, you know, data model he takes and and he can have it interpreted for him. Maybe I can do that as well. So on that thought, I think so many things are changing and uh, uh, let's see that we all take out of it, uh, you know, whatever we feel is good for us. Peter, Thanks for your sermon. It's always a pleasure <laughs> to hear you, how you sum up it so well that everybody understands it. And that's your message is have open eyes and try the technology. And now we switch into the main part with Marco and he will share his ideas with us. Perfect, Robert. See you latest July 4th, 5th, 2024 in yeah, the Alps yeah. again. Looking forward to We will meet each other again before 24 because we have to record an episode with Peter Kurte in Munich. Peter, don't forget that. Looking forward to Bye-bye. Bye-bye. See you. So, my guest today is Professor Dr. Marco Huber from Fraunhofer IPA. Hello, Marco. Hello, Robert. Nice to meet you again. Marco, you tested GPT-4 Interpreter at the weekend. Uh, can you explain us what is it and why did it fascinate you? Yeah, so it's uh, called uh, the Code Interpreter and yep. it was released uh, last week Friday uh, in a better version and it's currently merely available for the GPT Plus uh, users, so not to everyone, unfortunately. But there you can activate it and it's uh, yeah maybe can consider it as a plugin And it allows, as the name suggests, to interpret uh, source code. So you can upload source code, for instance, in Python written, and then it allows um, or provides an analysis of the code. And this could be, for instance, giving hints uh, if there is sufficient commenting, for instance, but it's not restricted only to source code analysis. It allows also to analyze data. So you could upload data as well and analyze it. Can you explain what is possible, what you tried? Yeah. Uh, when I heard about it, um, I was really yeah, on fire, so to say. Mm -hmm. And um, I just said, okay, I need to upload a data set. Uh, it's a bit restricted because you can only uh, upload 100 megabytes. So it's not uh, like analyzing a big yes. image database. Uh, that's, that's not the case. I rather used a toy problem, which is called the Titanic data set. Maybe some, some of the listeners uh, know it. It's a quite common hello world data set when you get into the data science field. Uh, it's about data from the Titanic ship, not a cruise ship that sunk um, quite a while ago. And the task is to predict the survival uh, chances of individual passengers. Mm -hmm. um, there you have information about the gender and which kind of class uh, they had their tickets and many more information. And this should be somehow analyzed to make a prediction. And uh, here I just uploaded this data set. It's freely available. And the first prompt I provide was, yeah, please uh, do a exploratory data analysis, which every data scientist should do. Yeah. And it was really fascinating because it's then automatically writing Python code, which is then used to provide insights about this data set, as any data scientist would do so. But you do not write the code by yourself. It's done automatically by ChatGPT. So you are satisfied with the solution, with the result? 
Definitely. Uh, I would have done probably very similarly, but the effort is significantly reduced. And it's really interesting how it somehow interprets and gets insight about the data. And it makes automatically suggestions what should be done next. So it starts with some kind of, let's say, basic analysis and interpretation, like what kind of uh, features is in a data set and how are the statistics about the features. Uh, and then it makes a suggestion what it recommends to do next. And the only thing you have to do if you are fine with this suggestion, just to, you write, continue with the analysis. And then it really starts continuing. It's generating plots from the data, like how is the distribution of the survivors depending on gender or on the mm -hmm. ticket class. So you get uh, some Python plots. Everything, let's say, a data scientist would also do. Um, so that's really fascinating. It took me maybe not even 10 minutes to build a machine learning model at the end. Wow. How is this possible, Marco? That's a really good question. So, of course, I do not have the insights. Yeah. Uh, I'm not working for OpenAI. But we do know uh, this was already possible with the, let's say, basic version of ChatGPT to get suggestions for source code. So yeah. that you write a prompt, for instance, I have this problem uh, of solving a specific programming problem. Please give me some, uh, some source code examples. This was anyways possible. And I guess it, it's building on this capability. And I suspect maybe in the background, there is sufficient context provided which is not visible to us, that allows to really make tailored analysis of data or of a given source code. So and how do you enter the data? Do you upload a package or what form of data? Yeah, uh, you just uh, drag and drop a file. Um, as I said, it's currently a bit restricted. Yeah. Um, so I tested it so far merely with uh, so-called CSV files, which is a very flat format, um, how tabular data is provided. So image data, for instance, is not working, yeah. but CSV is quite fine. I also tested it with another data set, which is a bit more complicated. It's called the M6 uh, okay. data set, which is about predicting uh, the, the stock prices. And what was the result? Yeah, here you see, it is interesting uh, because it was a challenge which was finalized early this year. And even humans had issues with this data set. Um, there's some statistic about how good were the solutions provided by human data scientists. And the finding was that roughly 40 to 50 percent of the provided solutions are not better than random guessing, which already gives an insight how complicated this task is. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, of course, the, the short test I did with the code interpreter, it was not providing a, let's say, world-class solution. So it was also struggling with it, but was was fascinating. In the data set, you only have actually a time series data for Standard and Poor's companies, and you only are provided with the shortcuts um, of, of the companies. And there's no information actually that this is stock prices. But quite early, it's speaking about ah, and this is stock prices and you would like to do predictions and I was I have never provided this information that this is stock data so it somehow got it automatically uh, from this CSV file that's a little bit scary right it's a bit scary yeah. maybe of course these uh, abbreviations or acronyms probably are quite common in, in, in the stock market and because it's fed with so so much data it has it already in the tank so how uh, and then was automatically rational, but it still was surprising to see a yeah, stock price prediction uh, somehow is the task. And I have never provided this information. What does it mean 
for the industrial sector now what could an industrial use case look like okay it's 100 megabytes but but what could be an industrial use case yeah e even in this currently restricted form and we probably have to expect that it will be yeah grow um, it will scale up uh, yeah, I it think, will yeah. scale up yeah currently yeah. it's it's a better so it's yeah. perfectly fine currently and even if it's restricted on tabular data you have a lot of examples so time series data can be represented in a tabular form and time series problems you have a bunch of it yeah a lot in the industry <laughs> Yeah, like doing predictive quality. Yeah, would like to use sensor information of your machine and predict about the quality of the of the goods that are produced. Mm -hmm. Doing uh, wear prediction of the tools, mm -hmm. predictive maintenance. Even though I'm not the big fan, as you know, uh, which is also a classical uh, time series problem or remaining useful life prediction. Uh, we have also discussed this is a typical time series uh, analysis problem. So. Even with this restricted form, you find a lot of applications. Okay. And we, we had a chat at the weekend and you mentioned, oh, maybe we can put an AutoML approach behind it. What Can you explain the idea? Yeah, it, it came to my head when I was playing around because it's, it's, it's not only generating source code, it's always also explaining what it's doing. Yeah, yeah. It, it's like on, on Star Trek. Uh, if you look at Star Trek things, the guys are always explain what they're doing. Uh, it, it's quite similar. Uh, and I said, okay, in, in AutoML, as you know, we have a, a black box squared. Uh, you have a black box which is generating black box algorithms. Um, so this can be, of course, an issue because you get no insights. Why did this AutoML application come to a certain pipeline of a machine learning model? But if it's providing, explaining why I selected this algorithm and why was the data pre-processed in this way, you already get some insights. And uh, actually, AutoML is nothing else as a sequence of transformations you apply on data. And because it's analyzing the data, I can imagine that is is explaining and interpreting all the data transformations and results and giving in a verbatim form uh, what has been done and how the intermediate data transformation can be understood or, or uh, interpreted. And this, I could imagine, would be very helpful for lay users, which are not at all familiar with machine learning, that they get a better insight what an AutoML uh, algorithm is providing as an output. Marco, is this just the beginning? And where do you see the limits? Maybe maybe the privacy data topic? Yeah, of course. Um, yeah, the potential is huge. Um, I'm still fascinated about it. Of course, um, with, with the M6, you see already uh, it's some problems are just, just hard and maybe yeah. it has no uh, domain expertise. For instance, what was not possible with the M6 data, it is it expla explaining, it by itself says, yeah, stock market price yeah. prediction is difficult. Uh, you, it's providing this information. And it said, yeah, if I do have access to additional information, like how is the economics in a worldwide scape behavior, the prediction might be more accurate. And I said, do you have access to other information? And it clearly says, no, I don't have. I only have what I provide in the data set. So providing this additional, yeah, no, the context, domain expertise, this is something humans still have their strength. And currently it's not, no way uh, to provide this additional information. Is it a new tool or is it an easier way to label data maybe for industrial applications for, for, for the, for the workers? 
not really for labeling the data, but if there's a, a worker with has not much or not yeah. even not any expertise with data science and machine learning, it allows to do at least some fundamental analysis without any coding skills. It's actually no code yeah. in an extreme level. Uh, it's more like, I think there's something called natural language programming. This is actually what you're doing here. You're programming by prompts. But but you have to improve your prompts, right? It's not it's not so easy to find the right prompts. Or is it very simple what you did? It was really simple. My first start with this Titanic data set, I provided really limited information. So my prompt, my initial prompt was really do an exploratory data analysis, and th then I yeah, you at the end it always doing some kind of suggestion what it's recommended to do next. And I said, okay, do this what you recommended. And if there were several options, I just selected one of the options and I let um, the code interpreter just perform. Wow. wow. I'm impressed too what you can see a lot of guys trying at the weekend what is possible to do it. Why should everyone try it in the industrial sector? Your suggestion? It's super easy to use. Um, and um, But please do not keep your privacy data on. And the of course, be careful. Uh, it's it's an American company yeah. with the server somewhere on, on the world. So you should not upload Confidential data, yeah. of course. This was the reason why I used these public data sets. Um, I didn't want to upload some customer data. Sure. Uh, so please don't do this if you fear, uh, have fear that you have creating uh, information leakage. But if you have some data set that is no problem to be uploaded, do it just to get an idea what for what can be done and maybe it's already giving some some insights you have not expected i have also read some linkedin posts over the weekend because others were also testing yeah. for instance from a company which is in the financial sector and this guy was really fascinating it's like uh, it was providing insights humans usually uh, have to work uh, around several hours to get the same same outputs And Marco, what comes next? So every week or every two weeks, we see another tool. What comes next and where, where where's the limit? I, I think I have to stop uh, predicting what, what is coming next because it's always, so, I think, okay, I think the, the code interpreter was not that, let's say, hidden to some guys. Yeah. Uh, there was some alpha version and so some were aware of that, but I, I wasn't aware, maybe I was not too, too carefully listening. So it's really difficult to see what comes next. Of course, this will improve uh, clearly. I expect um, that some guys also, as I did, came uh, to the idea, maybe combine this with AutoML. And then we, for, for my Titanic data set, I already did a hyperparameter optimization, which is a very limited yeah. form of AutoML. So it's quite obvious to me that others say, okay, I somehow combine it with automated machine learning. And then I have a no code easy to understand uh, automatic pipeline. Wow. Of course, currently it's restricted. It's yeah. always explaining. It has not that much compute power, but this is just a scaling problem. Uh, I, I guess this will be fixed quite soon. So we often talk to each other and I have never heard you so fascinated on this topic. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm always a bit skeptic yeah. about these things, but this really is, is fascinating. And I was also speaking to colleagues. Uh, some of my, my colleagues were also playing around uh, even a bit more, I guess, as I did. Like some, some of my colleagues, he's doing a lot of 
computer vision uh, on a lot of C programming. He just uh, took a C program he has written some while ago, put it in, and then he said he just let it optimize. Yeah. And it was really fascinating how quickly uh, this code interpreter came to suggestion how to refactor the code. And refactoring is always right. a, a a programming task that needs a lot of experience. But the suggestion, as the colleague uh, said to me, it provided was really meaningful. No, that's crazy. Absolutely crazy, but very exciting times we are living in. Thank you, Mark. It was a pleasure to talk to you. Yeah, thank you.